0: thanks Bobby we'll get back to you in a second and before we get back to the action in the ring folks I think we want to hear from the challenger of our current champion the one the only Weabo Maldino what do you think about your opponent coming up this weekend Maldino now listen
1: here you giraffe face motherfucker you show me the proper respect it's Weabo Maldino and I'll have you know this so-called champion of yours doesn't have a chance. And why is that? Wrestling isn't real. Ooh, he said it, oh, boo. Get a real hobby, you nerds. Watching a bunch of oiled up muscle men writhing on the ground. Looks like your frickin' internet search history, you butts. And another thing, this champion of yours, he's got one option. He's got to see me in the ring and let me tell you something anime doesn't go down easy baby and another thing this champion of yours he wants to get me in the ring he wants to show me the finer parts of wrestling he wants to show me the hot male bodybuilding action let me tell you Not
0: before the second date, you putts. Some seriously strong words from the challenger to our champion. What will happen this weekend at Sunday Night Suckin' Slam? Find out Sunday at 9 p.m. to another episode of king of the shill where this week we are kicking off the wrestling arc isn't that right scott you might say we're counting down you might say we're counting
1: down that's right to the tap out that is the wrestling arc
0: (laughs) i am gonna make you tap out at some point across this series of episodes that's for sure yeah i you might tap out when we get to the deathmatch episode oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) no i don't know if there's going to be a deathmatch episode or not i'm still considering it because i think deathmatches are gross yeah you explained to me a deathmatch i think it was either
1: aew produced or like something similar and you were describing to me some of the things that happened and i thought out loud to you and also internally that sounds like something i don't want to watch
0: yeah it's it's rough but uh but I assure you that this week, chapter one, we are not starting off on such a bloody note. Uh, we are starting off on something that is near and dear to my heart. But before we get to that, if this is your first episode of King of the Show and your first time joining us, welcome. This is a conversational podcast where Scott and I try to get each other into things that we like, but the other person doesn't. Or as Scott more eloquently puts it most of the time, I just want somebody to talk to about this. All right. And. Honestly
1: though, so far, our chill items, our our topics have been they they haven't been the hottest of takes, right?
0: No. These are things
1: that are that are near and dear to our hearts, yes, but they're they're just they're just fabulous in general. And I've been looking forward to the wrestling
0: arc for quite some time now. It's taken me a while to put it together because I just couldn't decide on What I wanted to do right like I even remember telling you several times like, well, I'm going to show you this and it's going to be about this and then I'm like, "Nope, I decided against that it's going to be about this instead. And so finally, I got I got to the point where I was just like, you know, I love wrestling for very specific reasons. I don't think I am going to have to sell these to Scott very, very hard. Uh, so I am just going to take you through what my history with wrestling is. We're going to go down the rabbit hole of what hooked me as a child, uh, what got me into it as a young adult, what brought me back to it as an a medium adult, um, yeah. a medium adult, <laughs> a mid-adult, a quarter-life adult, a full-fledged adult a full-fledged adult, and what sustains me today into my 30-year-old boomerism. Yeah. Okay. So before we get started, though, I have to just do one some some corrections. So listen, this is what happens when you drink a little too much while you're recording. You say some shit, and it's wrong. (laughs) And I have to go back, and I have to... Uh, make a little bit of a correction in our episode zero so to speak the mini so where we sort of introduced the wrestling arc uh it wasn't Phil Donahue that Hulk Hogan choked out it was Richard Belzer which I think the reason that I said Phil Donahue was because I had just been watching Vice's excellent series Dark Side of the 90s um and they had a whole episode about like too hot for TV and talk shows and Phil Donahue was like a focal point in that. Uh, okay. So I think I just had old man Phil Donahue on the brain because when I went back and watched the episode I was like, "Oh shit, Hulk Hogan didn't choke out this nice old man. He choked out a different nice old man." <laughs> I don't know who the fuck this other Belzer guy is anyway, so I he think he was I- like uh nice old man's probably a little bit uh too uh flattering, but yeah. he was kind of like uh he's he was almost like a Geraldo." Right? oh okay like he was like you know oh i'm gonna shock you you know yeah. so that's why he was like i'm gonna show the world that wrestling is fake right uh, As if like okay
1: yeah so he's he's a um tv shock jock
0: basically yeah exactly it's a great way to put it i mean he 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 sued hulk hogan yeah th- th- for a personal injury and it ended up settling out of court so the hulkster definitely felt away about yeah. what happened between him and the bells yeah so uh, anyway, that's enough for corrections for today. But yeah, uh, don't drink and pot. Uh, do drink and <laughs> pot. But when you do, make sure you uh, research ahead of time. Yeah. I
1: mean, t- take some notes. So hey, talking out of your ass is the makes for the most interesting podcast content anyway. So well, that's right. And speaking of talking out of your ass yes. wrestling. Yes, I, I have seen at least one wrestler who as a form of gimmick. Talked out of his ass and shoved his ass in people's faces. I've seen him do it. Yeah, probably. The
0: like the the big Samoan dude? Yeah, the, probably. The, the, whose special move, her finishing move was the stink face. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it, this sounds about right. <laughs> he was a big round Samoan dude with blonde yeah. hair and he mm-hmm. danced with two white guys. In fact, um uh that group was called Too Cool. Um I disagree. Well, yeah, you would disagree now, but back then they were pretty fucking cool. Is this like D generation X era of like
1: this is the X era. Okay. All right. Yeah. Makes Um, more sense now.
0: Around that time. Yeah. Yeah. So. What I want to get to today in our first chapter is something I like to call the moment. Mm -hmm. It is the moment that hooks you. It is. The moment that the story comes to fruition, it is a timepiece within a wrestling match that stands out to define it. Mm-hmm. Whether that is the one, two, three count victory, the unrelenting desire for the competitors to not give up the heart that they show in their competition, the skill. Every single piece of professional wrestling history, be it good or bad, has its own moment. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because in order to get hooked into wrestling, in my opinion, you need to experience one of these. It needs to happen organically in a way that maybe... you're either not spoiled on what's going to happen or maybe like the premise of the show. You just don't really have the context when you see it to build up why it's important. Mm -hmm. But having that moment is what I think about when I go back to why and how I fell in love with wrestling when I did. So back in like the mid nineties, 1995, 1996, I was not in a welcoming household for wrestling And I was born in 1987, so around this time, I was like, you know, nine-ish years old, right? Like around nine or ten. And, I mean, you know, you don't remember fucking anything before that, right? Right. (laughs) So, So this is about the time in your life as a young person where you start having these transformative experiences, right? Yeah. Um. One that we talk about all the time together is fighting games, right? We were both around this age when we started playing fighting games, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like the first time I picked up Street Fighter and threw a Hadouken, I was like, oh, fuck, right? Here yeah. we go. So I did not grow up in an environment when I would have been exposed to professional wrestling that was friendly to it. So I had uh, parents that kept kept it out from me Because of its connotations, what they were seeing in the news about it being, you know, uh, something that was more meant for adults than children, lewd women. And this would all be correct, no doubt. Right. But really, really quickly, because there might be
1: some younger people listening too. now, granted, parents will always try and keep certain content away from their children and rightfully so. But people have to understand that in the late 80s and early 90s, it was still very Puritan driven, like something like even the Simpsons, which yeah, is thought of right. now as this hyper sanitized, like family content. I remember my parents telling me that the Simpsons was evil and would rot my brain. Like, oh, yeah. Like they, so it's it's worth noting that this is a different time period in terms of this. People literally thought that wrestling was destroying the social fabric
0: yeah and and really another interesting part about this right is that you know it's it's almost like wrestling back then was getting away with so much more than you could get away with today
1: Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely you know so like to an extent that wasn't totally off base right Mm -hmm. but as we as we believe on this show, it is your job to parent to the children. And so if you can't find a good way to explain it to them, locking them out from it is just going to drive them to see it, yeah, right? To experience right. it, which is what happened with me. So going to friends' houses in the neighborhood and ha- them having brothers who are high school and college age at the dawn of what we would n- soon come to know – as the monday night wars where wcw monday nitro went toe to toe in the same time slot as wwf monday night raw at that time if you were if you owned a tv mm-hmm. cable television you were watching wrestling especially in their age range so that's what caught me mm-hmm. uh seeing this content having the experience of the moment and we'll talk about what my moment was after this right my specific moment but i've had many since then and today what we're going to go through is we're going to go through the surprise the subversion and the payoff building to the moment prompting the hype for the sake of it towing the line on the audience letting the story simmer just enough to where it becomes unpredictable and then blowing it up and paying it off in a way that only professional wrestling can do. And so what I want to start with is Hulk Hogan. Tell me, Scott, what do you know about Hulk Hogan? Oh, I know
1: way more about Hulk Hogan than I want to. Uh, Without touching on the modern struggles of the Hulkster, in all various degrees, Gawker destroying the Hulk many Ostruggles. struggles. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the Gawker obliterator,
0: <laughs> destroyer of magazines. <laughs> um, so Hulk Hogan. Destroyer of magazines needs to be his on his belly.
1: <laughs> destroyer um, of paparazzos. Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hogan. It's 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 hard to wrap up this man's career. Is he still like stricken from the records of WWE?
0: Do they still refuse? No. No, they they brought him back for some goodwill stuff. In fact, I think I think I think they brought him back after that whole thing. The first time he came back, I might be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure it was one of those blood-soaked Saudi Arabia shows. Uh,
1: Okay,
0: well, yeah, the
1: the WWE is not spotless, but basically Hulk Hogan. It's impossible to describe the legacy of this man in a couple quick sentences, but basically legendary wwe wwf figure multiple time title holder wrestlemania champion the the king of the booking for god like four entire no three decades
0: or four decades oh my god more than that (laughs) yeah i mean it because he was around in the 60s yeah and yeah an insane career
1: right yeah uh, rest he wrestled Andre the Giant and that and all the great wrestlers of that era and then he was competing as Hollywood Hogan in this very era we're talking about
0: now he became a very weird heel weird is an interesting descriptor because uh, I would call him one of the greatest heels of all time I I found his from what
1: i know of it again i didn't watch a lot of wrestling but this is the time period where i watched some wrestling from what i remember in my child brain i always thought of him as like comically evil and predictable you were not wrong yeah so i was always like because as someone who even when i was younger i liked the villains and the anti-heroes for him i was just The the overwhelming emotion for me of was, um, man, he's about to ruin something. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's 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 what I know about
0: Hollywood Hogan. I love that because what's interesting about that is that this is really that that is really going to tie into what we're going to see here today. Mm -hmm. Um, I was not. I was not into wrestling. I don't remember watching wrestling as a young, young child during the main Hulkamaniacs era, right? Mm-hmm. Like when he was in the mega powers with Miss Elizabeth, right? When he without Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth, when he was, you know, fighting Andre the Giant in WrestleMania three, right? Like that was like. I was so young. I just don't have any memories of watching that era of Hogan. And Mm -hmm. to your point, even before then, I mean, he was part of the territories, right? So he's he'd been wrestling forever. And at this point, right up up to 1994, when he signed for WCW for the first time, I mean, he was fucking uh, huge! He was a megastar. I mean, they announced his signing. WCW announced his signing at Universal Studios. It was televised. He had Pasta Mania in the Mall of America. In fact, Pasta Mania tied into the very first Monday Nitro for WCW, which was held at the Mall of America, and there was a huge Pasta Mania event that day, where he like cut the ribbon on his restaurant or something that was called Pasta So. He was fucking everywhere yeah. in your movies, on your lunch boxes, on your t-shirts, in your toy stores, in your video games. So I remember Hulk Hogan at this point in my life in 1996 as like this monolithic creature, right? I played as him in video games. I knew that everybody liked him because he was on everybody's t-shirts. But at this time, In 1996, he had been gone from WCW for a while because he had been in that circuit filming movies, doing television appearances. Mm -hmm. Basically, what The Rock and John Cena do in the modern era or did in the modern era every two years, right? Except they're way better actors. (laughs) Except they're (laughs) way better actors. (laughs) Um, Go ahead. (laughs) So, I mean, he is. And, and there is no doubt about this. He is the biggest baby face of all time. Yeah. Despite how big John Cena is, despite how popular The Rock is, they, in my opinion, don't even come close to how over Hogan was for the amount of time that he was. I cannot understate to you that this man was literally Jesus for these people. Yeah. I mean... Literally, Jesus! They worshipped the ground that he walked on. These fans. Well, John Cena is
1: like to to make this an extremely reductive comparison. He's like, help me help me think of a newer superhero that's super popular.
0: Like, oh, uh, like like a oh, I keep thinking newer. Even like the MCU is not new. Okay, Rocket Raccoon.
1: Yeah, like uh, he's like a uh, Star Lord or something Draft. like that. Where, like, yeah, sure. where. Star Lord is super unbelievably popular. He's getting his own game. If if we could think of someone that's newer, that's uh, a little bit bigger than Star Lord, that would even be more appropriate. He's the face of the company, but yeah. he's not Batman, Captain America, the this foundational heroism, right? That yeah, he's he's the pillar of what people see wrestling as. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. And, like, there's no denying that every baby that's ever existed since Hulk Hogan has aped Hulk Hogan's shtick in one way or another. I mean, he did it all. Mm -hmm. He knew it all. He had it all. There was no denying his greatness. I mean, we're not even talking about, like, the the implications and the intricacies of what it means to book a match right now, but the fact that they like that moment where he slams Andre the giant at WrestleMania three, mm-hmm. the fact that Hulk Hogan picked him up and slammed him is a fucking huge deal Yeah, <laughs> because of just at the time, like Andre the giant was built as this immovable object. And so the only person that was going to lift him up and slam him was going to be Hogan.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, to speak to the, the, size of his legend, right? Like I don't follow wrestling and I know the details of the first couple Wrestlemanias. They're seen as like hallmarks of sports history.
0: You I, know mean, what I mean, at WrestleMania 9, mm-hmm. right? Like then this is getting way off topic, but this is such <laughs> a good anecdote just to show you just how fucking over Hogan was at WrestleMania 9. Bret Hart lost the title match to Yokozuna. And and I'm leaving out a ton of details here for time, but Bret Hart lost the title match to Yokozuna. And in the scope of the match, Hogan comes out and is just randomly granted a title match. And then he beats Yokozuna in like 30 seconds. So it's even down to this thing of like, hey, we spent a lot of time building these two guys up for the main event of WrestleMania. Send Hogan out there. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, there was no denying you could just simply put his name on a bill and people would pay for tickets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in 1996, as I said, Hulk Hogan is out doing the media circuits. He's filming movies. He's on talk shows on television. So at the time in WCW, it was really kind of like Macho Man, Sting right? Lex Mm -hmm. Luger. These guys were like the baby faces of the company, right? Big guys, popular guys, not anywhere near the scope of Hogan, right? On the other side of the country at this time, the WWF is starting to heat up a little bit. Things are starting to get a little bit edgier. They're starting to have a little bit more of an adult flair to them, right? So, Something very, very crucial and important happens in 1996 at Madison Square Garden, and it is what's known as the Curtain Call. Have you ever heard of the Curtain Call? Mm-mm. At least not by name. I'm going to truncate this as much as possible to save for time, but there were a group of wrestlers backstage in WWF in the early to mid-90s. Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash, who is known as Diesel, yeah. mm-hmm. Scott Hall, known as Razor Ramon, Triple H and technically uh, Sean Waltman, one, two, three kid. It's part of the click as well. Okay. They travel together. They're buddies. They room together, right? They're an absolute fucking nightmare in the locker room backstage, tormenting people, sabotaging people's matches and angles, getting Vince's ear. Since Sean was the champion and bending his ear. You remember I, we talked about the, um, the Montreal Screwjob last episode. Yeah. Last time we talked about wrestling. This was like sort of the genesis of this era for the clip. Uh, okay. Right? All right. So in 1996, WCW heating up. They got Ted Turner. They got Eric Bischoff. They got mm-hmm. Turner Broadcasting behind them, just pumping, pumping them full of money. They're able to offer guys in the WWF money that the WWF could never fucking dream of. Yeah. And as a result... Two of their biggest talents, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, don't read don't renew with WWF, and they sign with WCW. So, in a very, very unprecedented uh, instance, in an untelevised uh, event at Madison Square Garden, or uh, at least I'm not sure if the whole event wasn't televised. At least this match wasn't. There was a cage match. It was supposed to be uh, between two of th- uh, two of the guys. Again, I I can't even think of the specific details right now, but essentially all the guys in the clique came out and hugged each other at the end of the match, even though some of them were supposed to be against each other, right? And like Mm -hmm. hating each other. I think at the time, Shawn Michaels and Diesel were in a program together because they used to be allies and now now they were against each other and he's out there fucking, you know, too sweet and Shawn Michaels and dapping him up and hugging him. And nobody knew that this was going to happen backstage. And the only like there's only like a couple fan photos and some fan footage that circulates online. But those are the only recorded evidences of this happening. And so it's kind of become wrestling folklore in a way. Mm-hmm. Right. Because this is largely viewed as the catalyst. This is basically Gavrilo Princep assassinating Franz Ferdinand. This is the catalyst that begins the Monday night wars. And this is where we're going to pick up. And this is where we're going to experience our first moment. Okay. After the curtain call in 1996. A familiar face arrives in WCW on Monday Nitro. He grabs a microphone. He's got a toothpick in his mouth. (laughs) The announcers are selling this. Like they've never sold anything before. What is this guy doing on television? And he grabs the microphone and he says. You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here and everything just changes. This kicks off an angle that sees Scott Hall basically masquerading as his Razor Ramon character, and Kevin Nash, who weeks beforehand was known as Diesel, a former WWF champion, embroiled in a current angle with their champion, Shawn Michaels, invade the WCW, and WCW kicks off an invasion angle where they are coined the outsiders, and they operate outside of the sanctions of WCW. They torture and terrorize broadcast analysts. They assault Eric Bischoff. <laughs> They're constantly coming to the ring, just sitting in the crowd, stirring the pot, looking at the WCW wrestlers. And finally, we get to a moment where they, Eric Bischoff finally says, you want your match? You got your match. That's fine. The outsiders are asked, say, telling Eric Bischoff in WCW, Give us your best three guys. Give us your best three guys. And it's only Hall and Nash. You want to take three on two? That doesn't make sense. They keep alluding to a third man. Mm -hmm. And at Bash at the Beach 1996, that match happens. And what happens at the end of that match completely changes the course of wrestling history as we know it. And there was, for those of you out there that may have seen The Loki television show on Disney Plus, there's a term that they use in that show that's called a nexus event to signify a split in the timeline that is just so catastrophically altering. It can never be altered. It can never change back. In my opinion, this is a nexus event in pro wrestling, and we're going to watch it unfold, Scott. Okay,
1: you got me intrigued. I'm excited. I, I don't think I know this wrestling story, so. This is all new so, to me.
0: So, we're gonna go through just a couple clips from Monday Nitro. That's going to build up to Bash at the Beach in 1996. We're gonna watch an ep, uh, uh, an excerpt from night from Nitro um, on May 27, 1996, June 3rd, 96, June 10th, 96, June 17th, 96, June 24th, 96. And then we're going to watch the Bash at the Beach match. So as I said before, not a whole lot of wrestling matches, but a couple short promos here and there just to sort of represent what I mean by the moment. The build, the towing the line aspect, the suspense, the subversion, and the overall payoff. Okay. Sounds good to me. So I think what we are going to do is, I'm gonna go over where you're gonna watch this because it's all on Peacock. So (laughs) if you have Peacock out there, you want to look at and we'll swear this is on Instagram and it's in the show notes. Show show notes. It's in the show notes. May 27th, 1996. June 3rd, 1996. June 10th, 1996. June 17th, 1996. June 24th, 1996 and bash at the beach, 1996. I'm not going to bother doing that a third time. You can slow it down and rewind if you need to catch it again, or look at the show nuts. So I have to ask before we get into this now, what are you thinking so far? What well, you, what, what's in your mind right now? Well, I
1: know a little bit about the wrestling wars. So uh, not the you know what I mean? The Monday night wars as they were called, because what you're describing, like basically either at this time or within a year is when I'm starting to watch wrestling, right? Like I'm a sentient child. Yep. I can understand how to work the remote and choose the content that I wish to watch. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. what I'm curious is who's going to show up. And I'm also curious as to, you allude this to be like a Nexus event. And I know a lot of like meme history of this stuff. So I'm wondering what could be so bad. What could be so um big as to change the paradigm, right? Because at, at a certain point, these two uh shows operated in an almost symbi- a hostile symbiotic relationship, right? So yes. I, I'm really interested to see where uh Hulk Hogan fits into the fact that you brought yeah. him up. So
0: yeah, definitely. Well I mean, you know, cause he's the good guy. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. he's and and he's not around. So. Yeah. Um and so, you know, what's going to be really interesting in that regard too is, uh, some of the stuff that we've got playing further down the line, because I really think that to appreciate modern pro wrestling, you must first understand the impact of the outsiders because I just want to, um, sort of, I just sort of want to give you as much of that experience as I possibly can. So I'm really looking forward to this. I'm excited
1: too. Would you say this was one of your first moments then? Yeah. Okay.
0: Absolutely. All right. So with that said, ring the goddamn bell. It's time to watch some wrestling. (laughs) Hey, don't forget. You can watch along with us. We have all of the episodes and the timestamps at the many folds on Instagram, as well as in the show notes. So watch along with us and be part of the discussion coming up. Or don't. That's cool, too. Hulk, Hulk, Hulk. What is oh he doing? Oh, my God! Is he the third man? He's the third man! What Hulk. the hell is
1: going on here? Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW. He is the third man Look in at this picture. Oh, my God! What the hell is... shot
0: ever given to professional wrestling. Who was the third man? It was the Hulkster brother. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so uh, we've returned, we've watched, we've discussed, and now we are here to Uh, post-mortem and dissect. I'll just ask, what did you think of the Outsiders invasion angle? So let me break it down for you. So
1: (laughs) we talked about this a little bit while we were watching. I, uh, my era, so to speak, of wrestling when I was watching it when I was younger is the immediate aftermath of this event. I did not know that. Uh, Anti-hero Sting, who was probably one of my favorites at the time. I remember having like a Sting action figure I remember Mm -hmm. playing him in the N64 games and stuff like that. But for this specific angle, at first, I was kind of just confused. I understood the context. And thank God you gave me some of the context for this, right? Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. I understood that it was like a big deal of like, oh, this guy, this Scott Hall guy is showing up and making noise. Oh, it's a big deal. What the hell? This is like. It, it would be like the equivalent of again, to reduce it down to the dumbest level of nerd culture. If, if Homer Simpson showed up in family guy and was like, yo, this show sucks dick. Right. It's like that, <laughs> that, that kind of <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah. do it's that kind of go over. Right. So right. I understood that, but I wasn't invested at that point. I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? This is kind of, mm-hmm. they're just talking shit. It's cool. So as we work through that, you start to understand like through this slow burn, right? Like within within the culture, within the energy of being a nitro watcher, right? Mm-hmm. These guys are spitting in your coffee. They're showing up. They're interfering with matches. They they cause the title to transfer the tag team title. They're mm-hmm. slamming your they're body slamming your um uh announcers through wooden panels and they vanish for like a month at a time. They're talking shit. It builds up at least, even as a total coming into this as a total outsider, it builds up this image of in your mind of like, man, these guys are douchebags, right? They're oh, yeah. they're asking for trouble. What really I think got me uh, i don't know if this is the appropriate terminology what got me over right was they finally take it to the ring right we'll come back and talk about the different components but they they finally yeah. make it to the ring and i could feel that energy that these promos were supposed to make me feel coming more off of sting than the promos themselves yeah you know what i mean so mm-hmm. they, it was great I it was really cool to see how NWO formed. Uh, I love <laughs> I love this moment of villain Hulk. I still remember really not liking him, but again, I was young, so I barely remember it all that much. But I, I love the New World Order angle. I love the like we're changing wrestling angle. It's it it was great. This this was a
0: really good intro. What's what's so interesting to me about this specific angle? Um, And and I'm glad that you think it's a really good intro angle, because I honestly I considered not talking about this at all just because it was already so famous. Mm -hmm. Right. But at the same time, like to just sort of drop you into this thing of this, the subversion at the end Mm -hmm. doesn't even involve anyone on screen until the very end. Right. Right. But I think that's what's so interesting about this is that, like I said before, Hulk Hogan is just this monolith, mm-hmm. right? Like he's almost not real. He's he, he was like transcending culture at that point in time so, so heavily, you know, like he, like I said, he'd been gone for a while, right? Like you'll probably notice that that Hulk Hogan that walks out. Mm -hmm. to save the WCW from the outsiders and then ends up create like joining them and creating the NWO is a significantly leaner Hulk Hogan than you would just envision him in is your head. And that's because like he was off for a while, um, getting into some stuff with other parts of his career. And, and a lot of people would tell you that like he was off the gas, you know what I mean? So he wasn't quite as blown up as these other guys. Right. But, the second he comes out, his look doesn't matter. Nothing that that had happened in the past month and a half matters. Hulk's back. Hulk's back. Yeah. Right. So the subversion is that he drops the leg on Savage. He's been out for quite some time. He comes back to save the WCW. He drops the leg on Savage. And it's just like... Suddenly nothing of what the outsiders did matters anymore. And now we just want to kill Hulk. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's this is another one that's like
1: I, I wouldn't even say the issue was that it was famous because I didn't like I somehow have never even even heard this story. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. partially because I wasn't into wrestling, but sure. when I was a kid, I was just like, oh, the new world order is bad. Whatever. You know what I mean? I don't care how they were formed. Like I didn't start mm-hmm. watching until probably two years later, I guess, maybe, right? So yeah. Um I think what is the bigger issue is that like I was even saying before the jump, Hollywood Hogan. You know what I mean? I know that he eventually becomes a heel. So mm-hmm. this is it's hard to put yourself into the seat like the 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 hypothetical eight year old like the myself sitting in front of the TV or you at this time and watching Hulk Hogan, Superman, the untouchable, the undefilable, walk up and drop his leg on his best friend right <laughs> like <That's> di- right. <laughs> diabolical behavior right it's yeah. it's literally as if Superman turned evil
0: and murdered Batman
1: in front of you. It's like, what? Like, how (laughs) how could you do this to me?
0: It was, it's my, it was my favorite part about like watching this with you because I was convinced for a second. I was like, he's fucking with me. I was like, he's just trying to make sure that I get the reaction that I want out of him because he's got to know at this point that Hogan's turning on them. Right. He's got to know at this point, but like even the fact that it took you like five seconds you were like, oh, Hulk. Oh, he's the third man. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> what, what fucked me up was I, I had the
1: Hollywood Hogan angle in mind. But then <laughs> earlier on, they were like, oh, Hol- well, Hogan's in the raffle to go up and wrestle him. Oh, OK. So it's not him. I was thinking exactly. like, I, I even told you I was like, I think it's like someone else from WWF that they're going to play up this war angle. And that's what started the whole shebang. Right. Yeah. But now yeah. we all got we got to be edgy and we got to screw with each other. Right. Yep. Right. And when he comes out, I was just like, oh, whatever. Right. Like there, there wasn't even a lot of fanfare, which shocked me. They didn't do the Hulk music. Right. And he didn't like just stride out like heroically. it he, is he was just like what running up there. I was like, oh, okay. And like you said, I, like one of the announcers said something. Whose side is he on? I'm like, wait, two
0: plus one. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> well it, there are so many things like you mentioned him not coming out to his music right yeah you mentioned just like the fact that there's no fanfare like i always as an adult when i would go back and analyze this i always looked at that as very intentional mm-hmm. and i look at it in the same respect as like the episode of nitro that we like skimmed through beforehand when we were just going through watching the promos. Um, Tony Schiavone at one point at signing off the night, the go home, the go home, meaning the last televised show before the pay-per-view. That's Mm -hmm. all called the go home show. The go home for nitro before that pay-per-view Schiavone signs off by saying there is going to be a change in regime. Yeah, he did mark my words. Yeah. And even before that, the week after Bischoff gets confronted by who would turn out to be scott hall at the at the at the point in time, the very next week he goes from wearing a jean jacket to a leather jacket. I've always viewed that as intentional as well, because when Eric Bischoff returns, he returns as a member of the n w o
1: Wow. ok. So that's why he wasn't at like, because they, they were selling this too. I, I wondered what they were referencing. They brought up like, Hey, where's Bischoff? He's not here. Well, you think mm-hmm. he would call in? And I was like, I, I even joked at one point that the third man was going to be Bischoff and he was just going to yeah. show up and let <laughs> stab somebody. Uh, uh, you but, would be
0: humbled to find
1: out that he is actually the fourth man. Yeah. Well, th- but that's this, this kind of speaks to, um, I mean, again, I know that I lack a little bit of the cultural context, which dulled it a little bit. But this kind of speaks to whether it is anime, normal television, film, books, whatever. There is this. it, it It's the meme now of all, oh, but it subverted my expectations The subversion of the expectation is just the delivery for the real package, right? Mm -hmm. We need a change. Hulk needs a change. WCW needs a change. Nitro needs a change. The outsiders need a change. And the best way to give this to you is to slap you in the face with it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's 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 this really common trope but it's it's just executed so well here. I I was really into it in the sting flight. Uh, uh, Like I said, the promos, I was kind of like, I'm not really getting the heat here because I haven't like been watching the stuff leading up to it. But man, yeah,
0: yeah, it it was good. Yeah. The 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 cool thing about this specific angle for me is how it really executes, you know, the moment. Right. Like. Mm We start with the surprise of Scott Hall showing up on Nitro and him sort of like being the trumpeter of, you know, this forthcoming hell for WCW, right? Mm -hmm. He sounds the seventh trumpet, so to speak. You won a war, you got one, right? and specifically, we're here. we. We. We are here, and yet there is only one of them. And you mentioned this while we were watching it, and you said it here already, but the slow burn of it is that it's, it's there's none of this another term here for you. Hot shot booking that's happening with this angle. Mm. They, it, it went the distance to, to, to accomplish what it set out to do. They kept them pretty much out of combat until bash at the beach when it was time for them to fight. So you have, at this point, the crowd is just seven weeks into wanting to see these guys get their fucking asses kicked. And on top of that, they're going to get to see them get their asses kicked by the Macho Man, Sting, and Lex Luger, the three biggest dudes in the company outside of Hulk Hogan, who's been gone for a while, and everybody knows he is. But, hey, don't worry. We're going to draft him for this team up, but he wasn't selected, right? Yeah. So it's just, it's just this really good execution. They surprise you with the actual reveal. They subvert your expectations there by both having Hulk Hogan not be in it and then him show up and dropping the leg. Yeah. And then they pay it off by actually showing that there is indeed a regime change. So all of these things that you've been seeing as a fan, everything you've heard in promos, things that you've heard announcers say even things they're called, the names they're calling this shit, the hostile takeover. You thought it was the outsiders, but it's the NWO. Yeah. Not just the outsiders. Yeah.
1: And they're truly outside the law too, so to speak. They're not even WWF. They're here to destroy wrestling. But let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about the promos and the slow burn, because this is another thing that like talking about wrestling is an arc. This is already something that, is really important to me and the things that I consume. So going back to One Piece, uh, if you haven't listened to our One Piece episode, give it a listen if you're interested in anime. That was the end Talk of about our, our One Piece. That was our anime arc. Talk about One Piece. Talk about a couple of devil fruits. But <laughs> I'm just going to use that as the example of this because this is very true in that uh, series. But I think that it is it is very true that most people don't actually want the hero to win. And what I mean by that is, they're not reading to see the hero win. A lot of the times, that's still a requirement. People want a happy ending. Like there's yeah. exceptions to that, but they want to see is the hero struggle. And I believe that that is true because if you if you look, at, I'm talking about popular media here too. I'm not talking about like literature, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. It's this is true of superheroes. People like Batman because Batman gets his ass kicked and he's a normal dude fighting super crazy psychopaths and villains, right? Mm-hmm. right. People don't like Superman because Superman never loses. he's he's God. He is literally God. he he is so powerful that he destroyed death in comics, right? When he <laughs> yeah. came back from the dead in the 90s, people couldn't die in comic books anymore. That is how <laughs> fucked up this character is, right? <laughs> yeah. One piece does the same thing that happened here in Nitro and these promos, which is it's this torturous, like edging, right? Of you want to see these guys get their ass kicked. Like you said, in Mm -hmm. one piece, this is they introduce the villain and he just, he spends 80 chapters doing the most vile shit imaginable, kicking dogs, uh, Tax evasion, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) he's done literally everything conceivably awful that you that he could possibly want to see, right? And then several times you'll get cock teased where he'll be right next to Luffy or something else, and then some twist of fate pushes them apart. Can't fight yet. I gotta go make you even more mad at me. (laughs) So you have these promos where Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are causing havoc right yeah Mm -hmm. they're screwing up the title fight they're doing all this this and that the moment is not even the resolution it's just the next step in that edging that like you came to watch these guys get this ass their ass beat and worse not only did they win they're destroying wcw (laughs) you know (laughs) what i mean yeah They, they they didn't just win the fight they won how do i want to put this not the not the they won the concept of booking yeah. like
0: like <laughs> yeah yeah it's a good way to put we
1: it. are in charge now so that's mm-hmm. that hurts even more it it's it, you have to be careful with this stuff because if you don't give the audience the resolution you get that superman problem or the reverse right of like an unlikable hero that can never win but for the people watching it's like I have to tune in to watch somebody please beat these motherfuckers up.
0: You know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. And what's really interesting about what you said there is that that's also why that you will see um, more often than not. You'll see uh, companies put their main title on heels rather than babies for that reason, because. There are some, um, th- this terminology was being thrown around a lot back in like 2014 when Daniel Bryan was like the hottest wrestler around and, um, the sort of meta commentary on it and the talk about it um, and about him at that time, they were saying that the company thought that he was a better chaser than he was a champion, mm-hmm. right? And that right there is exactly what you're touching on. There are, are many, many champions in the history of this, uh, of, of the sport and of the art form that spent more time chasing the championship than they actually were champions, despite the fact that they were the most over person in the company. Yeah. Um, it is exactly as you said, in my opinion, which is you will have more people coming back for more content more often and more fervently. If you give them a taste and only ever so often do you let them eat. Yeah. And so that's really why this specific angle wins and kind of prophetically you sort of predicted how it ends up, which is too much of something is never a good thing. Yeah. Um, the fact that you said, and I just, I'm just going to call this out. The fact that you said, uh, that they won the concept of booking that they control things now that is both. So kayfabe accurate and reality accurate because that in the future of WCW became a huge problem with guys like Hogan, Nash and Hall basically being given the reins for booking backstage.
1: Uh, OK, so it's so it's it's literally it's um it's it's one of those things then that I question if this is an inevitability of the
0: way that wrestling is run, because this is the same story with Triple H, right? Uh, sort of, I mean, they, it wasn't, it wasn't quite as bad, right? Yeah. We'll put it, we'll put it that way. They didn't hand the company over to triple H, right? He yeah. like, he, he, he worked his way up in succession and he knows what the fuck he's doing. But, yeah. <laughs> but to your point, right? Like similarly, there is a modicum of reality to what you're seeing on the television. Now at the time, that wasn't the case. What we just watched was purely the angle. I mean, yeah. Bischoff was in charge of this booking. Oh yeah, and bit and Bischoff actually, um, I love Eric Bischoff. Um, I like everybody in the wrestling industry. He's you know he is who he is, but in terms of the things that he's he's done and how how he talks about them, I really like listening to him because he actually adapted this angle from a Japanese. Angle in new Japan pro wrestling. He was over in the nineties in Japan. And I can't remember the exact details of what he saw, but it was similarly a kind of like outside organization coming into new Japan, basically being like, we're the shit now. Right. And not quite as, you know, flary as the NWO story arc was. But he took that concept and he made it into the NWO. Right. Oh, wow. okay. so literally
1: he's he like kayfabe or not, he's orchestrating himself getting power bombed into this wood support. Right. Yeah, exactly. So but this is part of uh, I don't want to derail the topic, but this is part of any art that is in part product. Right. Yeah. Like. The starving artist, this is a real this is a real modern art thing that I had heard before. This was like making rounds on the internet of that college student that urinated into a can of tomato soup or whatever. Right. She is not compromised by product. This is one of the realities of something like wrestling or any TV show or whatever of money talks. So if Mm -hmm. Hogan and the NWO is what putting the butt or is what is putting the butts in the seats, then they're going to get more control. Because they, exactly. have the, they have the power. They can
0: say, well, but fuck you then. We just won't participate and you'll lose viewers. You know what I mean? And especially during a time where, like we were saying during the watch party, right? I was telling you the types of ratings that they were getting yeah. back then. Like a single rating point was everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And they would have stopped at nothing to beat their competition. And the competition responded in a very, very interesting way. And in a unique way, and I will say, because we are going to get into some of that here in part two, but I would say that had it not been for the blunders and the missteps of WCW post Bash at the Beach 96, and I don't mean immediately, because let me be clear, they rode the heat of the NWO angle for more than it was worth. But mm-hmm. a lot of it in the beginning after Hogan comes out is truly, truly excellent. I mean, they ran as like a separate organization. They had their own pay-per-view, their own ring. It was wild, wow. wild, yeah. wild times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just this really meta booking, right? But, you know, what ends up happening, what was I even saying? <laughs> oh, uh, they wrote it too long. <laughs> Thank you. So they wrote it too long. And what ends up happening, right, is... um. You know, they start drafting too many people to the team. It gets too crowded, right? Mm -hmm. There's a split in the NWO with the Wolfpack and NWO white, Hollywood NWO, right? And so I fully believe that had it not been for all of that crap, all of that jiggery pokery, WCW might have won the Monday Night War because you're what you watch, you just watched a slice of their product. It just hit. It just hit. People were throwing garbage into the ring at Mm -hmm. Hogan and the Outsiders because they were so fucking mad at what happened. Mm -hmm. That is everything you need to know about the state of WCW at that time. And I don't want to give them too much credit and say everything was good, but two specific things were really working in their favor there, and that was that, they really sort of just leaned into what the crowd would respond to, which was something at the time the WWF, now E, was really, really struggling with. So it's a combination of this. I don't want to say like a gazump or like a snipe, right? Like a poach. They didn't, they didn't necessarily poach this talent from WWF, but it was just this moment where, money was speaking very very loudly wrestling was extremely hot and guys would do anything to make money and get a spot on a show yeah well so yeah
1: no i was just gonna say that this is also coming at a time too of i brought this up like this is the perfect intersection of counterculture and availability but the counterculture part of that, I think, is also really important because I think it is one of those moments where they're looking at the 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 visionaries. There are visionaries in any medium. Again, this is the difference between Gene Roddenberry and all the various showrunners of the different early Star Trek shows versus Alex Kurtzman, who just signed a major deal to do the next however many six years of Star Trek. God help us yeah. all. But <laughs> visionaries of this time of counterculture are looking at the product and they're saying nobody wants to see tired ass uh I keep wanting to call him Hollywood Hogan tired ass Hulk Hogan wrestle Russov to defend America right they want like you said this meta booking of this is a takeover where tearing this motherfucker down right you don't love me take a hike so
0: it's it's (laughs) that right it's exactly what it is um and it's it's such a great example of what i was talking about before which is just this procedural execution of this type of angle right it's got the kickoff it's got towing the line. It's got the the pre cum, yeah. It's got the payoff at the end. I love this storyline. And what I really wanted to convey to you, outside of just it's really cool to see where the NWO comes from, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. like the NWO is super famous, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's still a very popular relic from wrestling history, even today, right? Um, the Bullet Club, modernly, and even more modernly, the Elite are basically nwo kind of you know tangentials in a yeah. way so mm-hmm. they took a lot of their stuff they did a lot of the same things that they were doing so like this angle transcends eras mm-hmm. um and what i really wanted to communicate with this was just how to effectively build to this moment whether this is the capstone or the launching pad wrestling is a series of moments wrestling is is supported by beats and very intentional and thought, thought out beats. So that's what I was really hoping to communicate to you today because it's a foundational aspect of this art form. Even in some of the stuff that we're going to be looking at when it comes to the athleticism, when it comes to the skill, when it comes to um, some of the more modern takes on this stuff, everything has to be built to the moment. And mm-hmm. if it's not built to the moment, then the audience has nothing to remember. So, what did you think, all in all? Did the outsiders shill you on wrestling for now?
1: Yeah, so far this was great. Like I said early on, I was not—I I lacked the context to really get like into the promos, but man that that fight i i was feeling it i was like i stay i was like sting went super saiyan they yeah. killed krillin they they shoved uh, lex luger's head off the pole right <laughs> he went super saiyan i i was i was into it so yeah. i
0: th- this was good this was a good intro well excellent um and you know honestly like without us watching Literally seventeen hours of wrestling just to get to the Bash of the Beach. There was no yeah. way we were oh, going to yeah. be able to watch. All oh of no that.
1: no no! Yeah, I'm not. I'm not expecting that. Nor do I. Let me be honest with you. Nor do I want to watch seventeen hours of wrestling. <laughs> I just, don't even
0: want to watch seventeen hours of Nitro, yeah.
1: dog. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying that by the time it got to the ring, I was I was feeling. I, I'm using the overloaded term here, but I'm I was feeling the heat by the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. we got to the ring. It was this was good.
0: Yeah, but it, it's um. It's a great sort of palette teaser um, for some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about, because, again, building to a moment on part two of chapter one, we are going to be talking about the one, the only Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, And this is going to be a really interesting example, I think, of what it's like to listen to an audience when they want your heel to be a baby. Okay, that's interesting. And I d- how you can execute that effectively?
1: All right. I mean, I, so, I I love me some Stone Cold Steve Austin. I also I ch- I'm channeling his his hairstyle and his freaking <laughs> fashion <laughs> statements most days of my life. So well, it's gonna be a fun one
0: because we're gonna go through the classics, right? We're gonna show you how Stone Cold became Stone Cold, and mm-hmm. um. I think that this is some of the finest narrative work in wrestling history, specifically because it's another example, just like the NWO, but on the other side of the aisle of when the iron's hot, you got to strike it. Yeah. All right, man. I'm looking forward to it. Well, this has been The Outsiders. And if you want to listen to One Piece, if you want to listen to uh, any of our other episodes If you want to check out the mini-sode Which we kicked off the wrestling arc on You can do so at TheManyFolds.com As well as Apple Podcasts And Spotify, Amazon, Google And TuneIn You can find us at TheManyFolds on Instagram And uh, what's the other one? Twitter. Twitter Come say hi I will uh, be sure to post the list of everything In Instagram as promised For what you can watch leading up to this um, And uh, as always um, I don't Is there another as always or was I just Like accidentally putting that in in my Head you were accidentally putting that in your Head but thank You for
1: listening be yes. sure to Tune in to our next episode Featuring the one The only stone cold Steve Austin right here On
0: king of the show glass shatters We'll yes. see you next week
1: see you King of the show